Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, we began discussing book one of Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. Now, we showed you several keys to help you understand what you are reading. Now, believe us when we say Conrad purposely wrote this book to be a challenge. He wants you to fight through the jungle to understand this book. But uh, uh, I think we can help you unpack it as you're reading. Now, for today's program, we want to continue our discussion of the carefully crafted novella, Heart of Darkness. And so I'd like to start out with a little bit of a correction. But first, I better introduce uh, who's here with me in the studio. So uh, obviously, my wife, Deborah, is back here with me. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. And so uh, I did uh, make a a small mistake, but I'm still going to defend it. But I, when I talked about um, Marlowe as the Buddha preaching in European clothes, I, I was reading very fast across the book, and I saw the word with, but actually it was without a lotus flower. So, But still, if you've ever seen a statue of the real Buddha, <laughs> he always has a lotus flower in his hand. And, and a lotus flower is generally a, a symbol of light, and so, so certainly Marlowe is going to enlighten us. So do you have any corrections or comments for me? No. No? It sounds good to me. (laughs) All right. So I just wanted to make sure that we get this straight. Anyway, um, uh, remember what we were saying about Marlowe is that that he was kind of controlling the atmosphere of the ship. And here he's brought back as Buddha again. And so so I think that the the unknown narrator is telling us, well, this is exactly what happened. Um, You know, that... uh, that, that Marlowe was really, you know, um, you know, controlling the thoughts, controlling the, the, the atmosphere. And, uh, um, but, but I think what I want you to remember most is that, that both of these men, both of the narrators are giving us this amazing history. But, but if you notice, he's also telling us, I, I think, uh, uh, the, 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 unknown narrator is also telling us that there is something positive about imperialism or colonialism and what what he's really focusing on then is the idea the idea of it so I'm going to go back to my quote um, I'm going to start this would be on my page 41 it's you're, you're going to find it if you just keep keep leafing through it but it's it's when he's talking about the romans and the conquest and uh it's it's towards the bottom of this paragraph he says the conquest of the earth which mostly means the taking it away from those who have a different complexion or slightly flatter noses than ourselves is not a pretty thing when you look into it too much what redeems it and this is what he's saying is that colonialism or imperialism can be redeemed and, and how can it be redeemed? He says, what redeems it is the idea only. 
an idea at the back of it, not a sentimental pretense, but an idea, and an unselfish belief in the idea, something you can set up and bow down before and offer a sacrifice to. And so, so essentially, I think what, what Conrad is doing here, he, he's going to be very critical in this book about the Belgian colonialism. But he's going to show a certain favoritism to English colonialism or imperialism for both. And uh, there's some history there that they're going to, we're going to want to talk about as we go through this. So, so do you have any comments, my friend, on the idea? Well, the idea of the he does he does he is very favorable. It does seem in several different places where he's favorable to the the English or the British um, way of of being called of colonialism. Right. So imperialism. And, and so mm-hmm. so so in other words, the idea that he's really referring to is the humanitarian humanitarianism behind it is you do want to take people that haven't had let's say maybe the best wealth or the best opportunities that you do help them you know you know rise above their poverty you know rise above their lack of education you know and and i think british imperialism really worked hard to do that now it did have its flaws and and not every not everybody into the imperialism had a noble cause and uh, I think we have to just see that, but but we'll see that more as we go the th- through the book. Um, I, I think um, the the next thing that I think we we want to talk a little bit about is how how Marlowe begins to introduce a little bit more. And uh, remember that now the story is more than about just Marlowe, and uh, um, you know we we have the the history lessons. Um, you know about it's about imperialism, but it's also about Kurtz. And uh, look at how he introduces Kurtz, and this is the way Marlowe Marlo does it really early on. Um, he's he, let me just start here. It says he broke off. Flames glided in the river. Small green flames, red flames, white flames, pursuing, overtaking, joining, crossing each other, then separating slowly or hastily. The traffic of the great city went on in the deepening night upon the sleepless river. So he's talking again about London. We looked on, waiting patiently. There was nothing else to do till the end of the flood. But it was only after a long silence when he said in a hesitating voice, I suppose you fellows remember I did once turn freshwater sailor for a bit. That we knew that we, knew we were f- faded before the ebb began to run to hear about one of Marlowe's Inconclusive experiences. <laughs> I think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's inconclusive. It's inconclusive. Yes. <laughs> and so, so there you go. It's it's we're you know you're going to read about an experience, but it's inconclusive. So so everybody everybody out there that's reading is, you're going to have to think. You're going to have to analyze. He, he goes on quoting Marlowe. He says, I don't want to bother you much with what happened to me personally. He began showing in, in this remark the weakness of many tellers of tales who seem so often unaware of what their audience would best like to hear. Now, I, I think that's funny. <laughs> so the narrator is now interrupting Marlowe. I, I, I think it's funny. Um, he said, yet to understand the effect of it on me, you ought to know how I got out there 
and what I saw, how I went up that river to the place where I first met the poor chap. <laughs> now, I think it's interesting that he calls Kurtz there the poor chap. Because in the story we get into it, it's like he worships Kurtz. So so in, in some ways, when I read that sentence, I'm thinking he he is giving us a conclusion. Yes, right, right. You know, he's saying mm-hmm. for all this stuff about Kurtz, he was a poor chap. It was pathetic. The way the way he ended, right, right. yes. Mm-hmm. The, the the end mm-hmm. was was, as we all know, is the horror, the horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said it was the furthest point of navigation, the culminating point of my experience that seemed how somehow to throw a kind of light on everything about me and into my thoughts. He said it was somber enough too and pitiful, not extraordinary in any way. Not very clear either. No, not very clear. Yet it seemed to throw a kind of light. And so so here's what he's saying is, look, you know, I don't really want to just focus on me, what, what meant to me personally. He said, but, he said, his whole experience, he said it threw a kind of light on everything in his life. And so... So I, I, I think it's really interesting that that here we're here we're being told, you know, you know, Kurtz didn't end up very well, but in some ways we're being told, look at Marlowe, he's still alive, he's still telling stories, and so somehow he got enlightened by it all, and and somehow even though Marlowe is, uh, you know, maybe not as um, vain as he was in his youth. But it seems like he came out of it, you know, in in a good way. So, I, do, do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? What do you think? Yes, no, it, it's true. I, I, yeah, I see that. I see that. It seemed to throw a kind of light. So it wasn't clear, but it seemed to throw a kind of light. So he did somehow. He he did get a kind of light. Okay. <laughs> All right. I've been talking too much. So, you, what, what do you want to say now? I know you have something you've got to say. You've got a lot of stuff written down over there. Uh, well, um, we can move on to the, a new section. You want to you talk like. of a different section? Um, yeah. Um, so, um, do you want to talk about? Uh, he talks about when he was a little chap. He had a passion for maps. Oh yeah, let's yes. do that. Yeah, he, he had a passion for maps, and he he would said he'd look for hours at. South America or Africa or Australia, and he was be excited about the glories of exploration. And there was at that time there were a lot of blank spaces on Earth, and um, he wanted to go there. One of them, and then one of them was um, in Africa, and an area where he, um, you know, he thought that would be that would be great. To it was uh, one of the ones that says. Um, True, by this time, it was not a blank space. This is when he was older uh, anymore. It had got filled since my boyhood with rivers and lakes and, and names. It had ceased to be a blank space, a delightful mystery. Oh, it was a white patch. That's quite interesting. It would, uh, oh, every now and then I like to talk about the whites and, and black and the darkness and light. But anyway, it had become a, it had, um, a white patch for a boy to dream gloriously over. Be, but then it be, had become a place of darkness. But there was in it one river especially, a mighty big river, that you could see on the map resembling 
an immense snake uncoiled, with its head in the sea, its body at rest, curving afar over a vast country, and its tail lost in the depths of the, la- of the land. So I think it's, in- it's interesting. Um, we know that that was the Congo River. And um, but it's interesting he talks about it being, looking like a snake because a snake is a symbol for a lot of different things. You know, right. You know, so... Number it, one being the devil. The devil, right. Yes, right. the devil and evil. And evil. then also, um, you know, in some ways, the the um, mystery of some of the, of the um, you know, relig- other religions as well, you know. Right. Yeah, so. Well, one of the things that, uh, you know, just the other night we'd watched a little bit of uh, Indiana Jones when he goes into the tomb mm-hmm. and then there's the the snake that uh, what are they called the is it the cobra the cobra yeah. mm-hmm. well we know that some snakes some snakes some snakes can mesmerize their prey mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. so the thing is he does come come in here and say he said as uh, and again now what what you have to understand uh, readers is that he's thinking back to when he was a boy that he really he really was caught up in you know reading about explorers and all that and actually conrad was too i mean as he was a young boy he you know there was all this exploration going on at the north pole there was exploration going on all over the all over the world because there still hadn't been not every area had been investigated yet and uh but but the 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 thing is is what really cued him up here is when when he was back in europe and, and i uh in england after he had resigned from from uh, doing all the shipping in the east, you know he was he was unemployed, and and he was bugging everybody else, bugging all of his friends there. And uh, the, the, but the thing is, he's he's walking on Fleet Street, and he sees this map of Africa in the window, and and he says there, he said, and as I looked at the map of it in the shop window, it fascinated me as a snake with a bird. A silly little bird. Then I remember there was a big concern. A company for trade on that river. Dash it all, I thought to myself. They can't trade without using some kind of craft on that lot of fresh water. Steamboats. Why shouldn't I try to get charge of one? I went along Fleet Street but could not shake off the idea. The snake had charmed me. (laughs) (laughs) So, 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 uh, uh, again, when we, we just posted on, um, Twitter, we've posted a quote from Heart of Darkness, and we used the, you know the the, the uh, map of Africa with the Congo River in it, and so uh, that that really is a big symbol in this book. You know, the, the, what what you do with the river, and and the you know using the river as as shipping, and going on from there. All right. Uh, he goes on then. Uh, in this, he talks about. Um, he said, "You understand that it, it was a continental concern that trading society, but I have a lot of relations living on the continent because it's cheap and not so nasty as it looks." They say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so making comments about yeah, Europe. <laughs> he's he's making comments about Europe, even though he was Polish. He's still making comments mm-hmm. about Europe. All right. So uh, uh, anyway, um, he goes on to say that that he got his appointment, of course, and I got it very quick. Now. I did read from Gigi and Aubrey uh, in the last podcast, last couple of podcasts, about all these things, even though it's, uh, 
you know, he's 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 applying it here to Marlowe. He actually went through all these things. I mean, this he he is he had cousins on the continent. He had an aunt who was an aunt by marriage. You know, on the continent, she's the one that did help him get his job. You know, with the with the uh, the Belgian company. And uh, he said, I got my appointment, of course, and I got it very quick. It appears the company had received news that one of their captains had been killed in a scuffle with the natives. This is my chance, and it made me the more anxious to go. It was only months and months afterwards when I made the attempt to recover what was left of the body that I heard the original quarrel arose from a misunderstanding about some hens. And so so here he's, he's really talking about... Um, uh, of course, he's talking about free Slevin, but he's also talking, he begins to talk about the cruelty that began to happen to the indigenous people or the Africans. And, you know, so so he's really, again, this is like another key to, to um, uh, you know, the, to understanding the story is, and again, you can't just read this as a story. You have to step back and think about well, why did he incorporate this in this early, you know, in the in the novel or in the novella? And it is. I think you you really have to to read it, you know, slowly. And I think in some ways, um, you know, I think I think when I read, I do read very slowly, and and I can I kind of grasp some of these things maybe a little differently. I don't just pass over things. But um, uh, if, if you look at it, you could look at that, at this as well. Man, this this poor Dane goes down there and gets killed. But why does he get killed? And the, the, this is what you have to really analyze, uh, readers, when you're when you're doing this. And let me just go ahead and continue to read this. It says uh, he goes on to say he said that I heard the original quarrel arose from some. Mis- misunderstanding about some hens. Yes, two black hens. Freeslevin, that was the fellow's name, a Dane, thought himself wrong somehow in the bargain, so he went ashore and started to hammer the chief of the village with a stick. Oh, it didn't surprise me in the least to hear this, and at the same time to be told that Freeslevin was the gentlest, quietest creature that ever walked on two legs. And so so again, that should tell us something. Uh, what What happens to people that joined this Belgian company. They changed. They were changed. Something changed them. And uh, he said, look, he was supposed, this guy was supposed to be gentle. And now he's he's uh, hammering the chief of the village, or he's beating on this this uh, this the chief of the village. He says, no doubt, he's, he's going on to say, no doubt he was, and meaning he was uh, you know, a gentle creature, a quiet, quiet man. But he had been a couple of years already out there engaged in the noble cause, you know, and he probably felt the need at last of asserting his self-respect in some way. And uh, uh, what what, uh, Marlowe is trying to get up front right away is sometime this noble cause has horrible effect on the people trying to implement it. (laughs) And so something, something changes, and we're going to find out through Kurtz what makes the change. Says, you know, and he probably felt the need at last of asserting his self-respect in some way. Therefore, he whacked the old, uh, I'm going to say chief, mercilessly, while a big crowd of his people watched him thunderstruck till some man, I was told the chief's son, in desperation at hearing the old chap yell, 
made a tentative jab with a spear at the white man. And of course, here you have, like you've been saying, even in the last podcast, there's a lot of comparison with black and white. And so, so uh, uh, here's a white man, and of course, it went quite easily between the shoulder blades. So, so he got speared right between his shoulder, his shoulder blades, probably hit the heart. It says, when the whole population cleared into the forest, expecting all kinds of calamities to happen, while on the other hand, the steamer Freeslevin commanded left also in a bad panic in charge of the engineer, I believe. And so, so afterwards, nobody seemed to trouble much about Freeslevin's remains till I got out and stepped into his shoes. I couldn't let it rest, though, but when the opportunity offered at last to meet my predecessor, the grass growing through his ribs was tall enough to hide his bones. They were all there. The supernatural being had not been touched after he fell. And the village was deserted, the huts gaped back, rotting all askew within the fallen enclosures. A calamity had come to it, sure enough. The people had vanished. Mad terror had scattered them, men, women, and children, through the bush, and they had never returned. What became of the hens, I don't know either. I should think the cause of progress got them. Anyhow, however, through this glorious affair, I got my appointment before I had fairly begun to hope for it. And so, so what does that tell us? What does that paragraph tell us? It's quite a picture. That um, for one, for one thing, it seems like the um, uh, the, uh, the the natives had kind of had thought maybe the white whites were kind of like a god because because it, it's like they weren't even expecting that the the um, you know the the spear would go into the shoulder blades and then then it says that they all they talks about the supernatural being had not been touched before he fell. In other words, they didn't do anything to his bones. They just let him die, and they, and they ran. They ran. They ran, yes. And why did they run? Because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them. Right. So there obviously had been some some violent exchanges between the whites in the company and the natives. <laughs> and so, so essentially, I think what that picture shows is their society was being destroyed. You know, here's a whole village. They ran off and left their village alone. You know, and so so the, the thing is, and he goes on, he says, that I should think this, the cause of progress, got them. And so so you can see early on uh, in, the no, in the novella, uh, and again, to all the readers out there, we're, we're getting these key, these, these hidden keys to tell us what we're going to be reading as we go through this, and so so the the real terror doesn't even ha- hasn't even uh, we haven't even been introduced to it yet, and so so but he even notice that Marlowe at this time he doesn't step back and think hey should I be involved in this you know wh- what should I be doing here he says I flew around like mad to get ready and before eight. And before 48 hours, I was crossing the channel to show myself to my employers and sign a contract. In a very few hours, I arrived in a city, and that's Brussels, Belgium, that always makes me think of a whited sepulcher. <laughs> and so, so uh, uh, prejudice, no doubt. So he's saying, hey, I'm prejudiced. I'm prejudiced against Brussels. And he calls it a whited sepulcher. And of course, 
uh, you have to dig into the Bible and, uh, you know, what, what uh, Christ referred to the Pharisees as whited sepulchers because they were such hypocrites. And he said on the outside they'd look good, but on the inside they were like had dead men's bones. And so, so uh, uh, you know, he, he sees Brussels as the whited sepulcher. And so, so essentially what, what he's saying is the company had all these great ideas, but that's not what they were really doing. You know, they had all these humanitarian views, but, uh, you know, it isn't, um, uh, it isn't good. I, I want to just read just a little bit of a history here on King Leopold. And uh, this is uh, at the very beginning of this, this uh, book that I have. And I, th I think it's important uh, for you readers out there to get this history. Uh, this is referring to this time period. Now remember, the, um, Conrad had resigned from the, 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 the East Seas about 1890. And so, so all of this uh, with the idea of the, of the Congo and what was going on in Africa, colonizing Africa, was something that, that uh, he would have been very much aware of. It was very much on the minds of people at that time. And here's what he says about this comment here about um, that I just read to you from the book. It says, set during the era of the heightened competition for imperial territories that historians have termed the new imperialism, Heart of Darkness is loosely based on Conrad's experiences and observances during a six-month stint in 1890 in the Congo as an employee of the Belgian company, the Societe Anime Belge pour le commerce du haut Congo. So that's, I really slayed that, that bad. It says, this five years after the 1884 to 1885 Berlin Conference, a meeting of representatives of the European powers to establish the terms according to which much of the continent of Africa would be divided among them. During this meeting, King Leopold of Belgium, skillfully playing the jealousies and fears of rival powers off one another, astonishingly managed to secure his own property over 900,000 square miles of Central Africa. That is a territory roughly seven times the size of the country he ruled. He says, under humanitarian pretenses, Leopold's agents, who had begun the process of conquest several years early, effectively turned the so-called Congo Free State into enormous into an enormous forced labor camp for the extraction of ivory and later after the worldwide rubber boom in the early 1890s following the popularization of the pneumatic tire for rubber. And so um, it, it goes on to say so much. It said, in, in addition to outright murders, the slave labor conditions led to many deaths from starvation and disease as well as sleepily de steeply declining birth rate. Even during the era in which most Europeans viewed imperialism as legitimate, the appalling circumstances of Leopold's Congo, if it would officially become a Belgian colony in 1908 and Leopold would die the following year, never having so much as visited the territory, it led to an international outrage. And so, so that's what uh, you know, we, we're talking about here when... Um, uh, Marlowe speaks there. He said it's, and this also has been one of the darkest places on the earth. And so, meaning that's London, and it's also 
And remember, he's saying this also. So he's also referring to, to what King Leopold did. All right. So uh, uh, how are we doing here on time? We're going to run out of time again. We're going to be in big trouble here in just a minute. So, so uh, uh, anyway, I, I think that's about all we need to deal with the idea and all of that. And then, of course, with, with Free Slevin. Um, all right. So, um, remember, uh, uh, readers out there, when you're reading, you're not reading just a, a you know, a, a shipmate's yarn. <laughs> you're reading something you're going to have to unpack and understand what's being said. So I, I think that that's really important. <clears throat> so, so anyway, we'll, we'll continue more of this, at, you know, next time. But uh, in, in, this, in this section where he's looking at the map and all of that, um, uh, really it's so much of it is about Conrad's own life. And I think it's interesting that you know really good writers can take their own experience and they can build something really fantastic out of that that really can teach lessons. And certainly, uh, you know, Conrad does that for us. But but there's so much more that we could talk about. And uh, uh, as you know, we just talked about um, what went on with uh, with Leopold. But then uh, maybe we'll just have to wait to talk about this next time. But uh, when he gets into the company, he sees this map, and there's all kinds of colors on it. And, uh, you know, red means England. Uh, you know, blue meant uh, Germany. Green meant someone else. Orange meant someone else. Yellow meant something else. And so so he, he, he's not just picking on England, and he's not just picking on Belgium. He's picking on all the people that we're colonizing. And so, well, that is all the time we have for today's program. Uh, next time, we'll continue our discussion of Book One of Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. There's a lot more to talk about. You can buy Heart of Darkness at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to JBL at PCUG.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.